Hello, and welcome to the show where we delve into Miss Fisher's murder mysteries. My name is Mary. And I'm Chandler. And we're going to start at the beginning with the very first episode called Cocaine Blues. So, here we go. Cocaine Blues. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think maybe we should talk a little bit about the actors involved. And, of course, Miss Franey is played by the amazing Essie Davis, who I think was pretty unknown to American audiences before this, but she's really well known in Australia and I think also the UK as well. And I think also um, Nathan Page, who plays Jack Robinson, is also someone who was really unknown to American audiences, and and I think he's all in our hearts now. (laughs) But he has kind of an interesting story because he was not originally an actor. He's kind of a newcomer to acting. He was, um, I believe, an athlete, a professional cyclist, and has won all kinds of trophies and championships and things. And then lo and behold, he's this incredibly talented actor and his career has really taken off in recent years. Yeah, I listened to an interview he did and they were asking how he went into acting and he had, I think he was 19 when he kind of maxed out in the professional cycling industry and it was, he had some issues with the uh, steroids and the doping and a lot of the shady stuff going on and he didn't want to participate so he got out of it and he was still really young, like 19. Yeah. And um, he talked about how he wanted to try something scary, something new and scary, and <laughs> acting was it. I, it's kind of hard to imagine someone doing two completely different things like that and I know. being successful at both of them. And I like how the series has kind of woven in his cycling background periodically. Yeah. Um, and he, he's really athletic. I mean, for he's understated about it. Right. And, you know, he's the snappy dresser and everything, but he's, I think at his core he's a really athletic guy and you can see that come through um especially when he's doing some kind of stunty sort of things Mm -hmm. it's really great to see yeah it is okay so continuing on the the cast theme so when I first started watching this show I didn't really know what to expect except I'd heard the title a friend of mine who has very good taste was watching the show and just when I heard the title I thought okay that is made for me. I'm going to love that show. I don't even know what it's about. Well, then in the first, I don't know, 10 minutes, first of all, the filming is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And they set up Phryne so well right off the bat. Um, She's going to be a fun, precocious character. And then in one of the first scenes, you get Miriam Margulies, who is a very familiar actress. Yep. And in all kinds and one of, of my wonderful things. All time favorites. I love her. So I thought that was, I mean, that's kind of a coup to get her in this show. Oh, yeah. And then uh, Miranda Otto is also in yes, it. Yes. So who, for all of you Lord of the Rings geeks out there, she is AON. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> and I truly, I don't think I've seen her any, anything since then. I'm not sure I have, but she's another one who's really popular in Australia. And I think she has also done some radio dramas and things. And I know that hmm. Miriam Margulies has done radio. Um, she did a few years ago a really fantastic BBC production of Clarissa, which is, I, I believe, the first novel it's a very old, it's like an 18th century novel, and Miriam Margulies does several of the voices in it, and she's in it with the fabulous Richard Armitage. And um, so there's a lot of crossover, and a lot of these um, classically trained English and Australian actors do also a lot of voice work and radio work. And, and I think that kind of comes across in their performances. They're, they're, it's beyond television to me. It's, it's something else, and it's really great. Yeah, it definitely has um, a cinematic quality to some degree. And I think a lot of that is due to the cast. And then also just the production value yeah. is incredible. Yeah, And the costumes, oh. I cannot get enough of these costumes. Yeah. Well, you were the one who introduced me to this show. And I, you know, I actually am not a big mystery person. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm not. That um, surprises my me. My husband totally is. He <laughs> loves mysteries. I mean, he... he collects mysteries on audiobooks so he can listen to them while he's cooking. Oh, wow. He is really into that stuff. And I tend to find them pretty formulaic. Mm -hmm. But um, what got me was I'm a sucker for anything that's a period piece. (laughs) So, (laughs) I mean, if you dress people up in 1920s flapper costumes and had them read the phone book, I would probably watch it. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Yeah. So, and then when you told me that it was this quietly, kind of understatedly feminist show that's what really 
drew me in. And, and it was one of those things where I, I kind of saw it on Netflix and it had been available on streaming and I was reticent to get into it because I get sucked <laughs> in so quickly. Yes. And I thought, oh no, it's not a movie. Understand. It's a series. I'm going to get sucked <laughs> in. And of course I did. I mean, you were right. completely right. <laughs> yeah. Just put your life on hold yeah. because you're going to have to binge. What did we do before binge watching? I don't know. How did we wait a week I, yeah. for the next episode? Yeah. I, yeah. I will never be able to go back to no, that. No. Life is not worth living. <laughs> I cannot binge watch my current obsession. Exactly. Yeah. I know. I feel so lucky to have come across the show after the third season. So when all of them are finished. Me too. And when I was Googling things about the show, I would run across people saying, oh, we don't know there's going to be a third season. And uh, so glad to not have had to wait for the third one. Now we're now sitting we're all in, in maybe a more precarious situation. Right. We're all in kind of purgatory right <laughs> yes. now. But at least we didn't have to wait for season three. I don't know about you, but with the first time I saw this show, it usually it takes me a little bit to kind of get into something and see if I'm going to like it. And that was not the case here. And I was kind of, like I said, I'm not really into mystery. So I was a little bit like, oh, I don't know, even though it's a period <laughs> piece. Um, but it, that just didn't happen. It's It just sucked me in right away. I mean, that initial shot where you see Franny stepping off this boat and she's mm-hmm. larger than life and she's got the that scarf? The scarf. Oh my gosh, oh, the, the scarf. scarf. <laughs> <laughs> they did such a good job with yeah. that wind machine. Yeah, and that beautiful matte painting that they, I yeah. mean, it's just as soon as you see that, you think, okay, we're in good hands here. Yep. This is some quality business. <laughs> so based on the title, I thought it was going to be an older woman. I didn't know mm. who Miss Fisher was. I just assumed well, they often sort are. of yeah. With you these have Miss Marple, Marple, you have yeah. Jessica Fletcher, and so I just kind of assumed that that was the the way the show would be, and that yep. was totally fine with me. I was going to watch it regardless. Yep. But then to see this young woman, bright red lipstick, yep. coming off this ship. And young, but not like an ingenue. She, oh yeah, she's not, not like eighteen. And, right. No, you know, not it was young. So young. nice to see this beautiful vivacious incredible 40 something year old woman yeah so essie davis is in her 40s she yeah i think she was around 41 at the beginning so in the books she's quite a bit younger she's in her 20s now that's interesting um and i'm not sure what age the show wants her to be i would say she's about her real age because you know she she went through world war one mm-hmm. which was a decade earlier a decade plus earlier yeah and so it, i think they kind of portray her to be in her 20s then so i would yep. say she's at least in her late 30s here um yeah that makes and, sense and i think also you know she's she's an heiress as we find out and and i think even though she's not the kind of the typecast problem solver that we often see in these murder mysteries. She's not the Mm -hmm. old lady or the spinster Mm -hmm. um, or the widow, but she has kind of the same freedoms that you find in these characters, particularly in historical pieces. And she, especially in that era, even though the twenties were far more liberal (laughs) than say the Victorian era or even what came after, I mean, they're far more liberal than the fifties, certainly. Yeah, it's true. Um, But even so women didn't have the kind of rights that they enjoy now. So, the only way for a woman to really have the kind of freedom that Franny has, even with her strong will, is to have money and to be able to have independent means. And that gives her the freedom to do all of these crazy things and have a, a Spano Suiza car. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a fun way, like such a fun situation to yeah. have for the main character. Yeah. And then you really get to watch her fly. Yeah. Because she has that freedom. Right. And she benefits other, she does all kinds of things that benefit other people. So Dot, I think, is a perfect example in the yeah. first episode. So we meet Dot. She's very, she's terrified of everything. She won't even pick up the phone. Yep. Um, <laughs> That's so endearing. I know. Once she gives the explanation, her priest, her priest <laughs> has said that the phone wires are connected to the center of the earth and at some point it will all explode. And it's so It's just adorable. Funny. I know. And, and Franny watches her not pick up the phone because she is so terrified of yeah, it. Yeah. Which actually cast suspicion on her mm-hmm. at first until we find out that it's just this completely <laughs> innocuous neuroses. Right. <laughs> so over the course of just this one episode, we meet Dot. She's terrified. She's in a really vulnerable position. And Miss Fisher sees that and gives her her card. 
And then Dot shows up needing help. And then from then on, Miss Fisher recognizes she has all these skills. Yep. And puts her to work. And potential. And potential. And yeah. by the end of this one episode, Dot goes from being terrified of the phone to actually saving the day by using right. it. absolutely. Because her call to the police station is what actually gets Jack Robinson off the chair right. to right. go and investigate what's going on. And I think she finds her, she starts to find her own confidence in her abilities. Like mm-hmm. she just walks in and, 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 I, and I'm just trying to picture the scene from the point of view of this I don't know what, 18, 19 year old girl, totally innocent from a Catholic family. Mm-hmm. And she walks in and she sees lingerie draped everywhere <laughs> and obvious evidence that somebody has been there the night before. I know. And she just takes charge. She just, just goes in it. and she mends that stocking and she gets the blood out of the dress. <laughs> and, and I think she starts finding her confidence kind of right away. And she starts to trust Phryne, even though right. Phryne's going to make her answer the phone. Yep. And Phryne is clearly a woman her priest wouldn't like. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but then she even poses as a pregnant woman about to get an abortion. I, I mean, how far removed can you get from yeah. being afraid to answer the phone? Right. So I'm glad that they kind of qualified her decision decision she was saying her friend Alice almost died because yep. of this and she and could have been can, next right yep. so if she can help in any way because that's a pretty major step to take yes. if you're scared of everything yes um so I'm glad they threw that in there to kind of explain yeah what is <laughs> definitely out of character for her but yeah she really saves the day yeah in this one episode and so we we see the start of Miss Fisher helping women in vulnerable positions and yep. not by just like throwing money their way but actually using their potential, yes. recognizing and using and, it and, and teaching them to be independent and showing them what they can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of brings me, can we talk for a minute about Sess and Bert and oh, how yes. awesome they are? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and I love that we meet them pretty soon after. I mean, they, and they are the ones who lead us to this first victim mm-hmm. of this kind of ab- abortion racket right. that's going on. And, um, and and it f- and they i think they are full of surprises and it, they are pretty much immediately you kind of assume they're going to be the stereotypical men period dudes <laughs> yeah. yeah and they are not they're actually enchanted by Phryne. there's definitely i think some class stuff that's hinted at because they they can tell that she's wealthy they try mm-hmm. to actually bilk her on a cab fare right yeah and she doesn't fall for it um, but I think immediately they kind of test the waters there and they, they see an opportunity for work and also some serious fun and right. shenanigans to be had with her. So I think they kind of size each other up immediately and kind of figure out, hey, this is, I think this could work. Yeah. And it's fun to see that unfold. It is. And it's also interesting to see how much they care about the fate of Alice the yeah. young woman that we meet who yes. almost dies who almost dies from yeah. a terrible back alley abortion. So, yeah. and Sess is like literally by her side in the yep. hospital, and and then that foreshadows things to come later. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't want to spoil anything for anyone who hasn't <laughs> seen it, but we this is not the only time we will see Alice. We'll see her again. They are very interesting characters. They're called Red Raggers because they're commies. I know. I know. <laughs> talks about what an exciting and interesting time that would have been. There was so much going on. I mean, the Bolshevik revolution had just happened in Russia. This was brand new. I mean, these were the current events that were happening. And and I love that they touch on that. And there's all of this kind of class business going Mm -hmm. on. I mean, it's so interesting to think of these Russian communist sympathizers hanging (laughs) out with an heiress of English descent. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's so interesting and so much fun. And they proved to be incredibly loyal yeah. to Phryne and, and invaluable to her. And so, yeah, she's she's kind of a superhero, but she wouldn't be able to do what she does if she didn't have these people who trust her and who and whom she helps in turn. So mm-hmm. it's really great to see. We have not talked about our cop friends yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have not. There's, it's kind of a trope that you have this interfering amateur detective lady. And, and it just makes me think of um, Jessica Fletcher, and of course, in <laughs> the, the famous murder she wrote. I have totally been to her house in California. <gasps> no I'm way. Just saying. Even though I don't even like mysteries, but I love... I love Angela Lansbury, and and I have totally been to the fake Cabot Cove, which is actually Mendocino, California. Um, 
but there, that trope exists there too, where she's this amateur and the cops see her as kind of a threat at first and then they kind of get used to her until mm-hmm. they they figure out that she's way smarter than they are right. and often the cops are kind of these bumbling idiots and um so i still have this kind of image in my head of the the quintessential murder mystery cop of um tom bosley with the ms fletcher <laughs> sure are a lot of murders in this here town in maine <laughs> but we don't we we're soon surprised by jack because yeah he sees her as an annoyance at first but he's no dummy. He is whip smart. They're adversarial at first, but mm-hmm. then they're working together kind of almost against their will. Like they find themselves, oh, I actually like yeah, this guy. I like this woman. Not until the second episode that they start yeah. actually working together. Yeah. Because, and I wasn't sure how this was going to play out. I mm-hmm. kind of assumed it was going to go the way of a lot of other stories where she would keep interfering and he would be annoyed. But of course, she'd stumble upon some very important clue that he couldn't dismiss. And so he'd grudgingly right. work with her. And and it was kind of like that in the first episode. And then the second episode was starting that way. And then... Then they kind of take the measure of each other. Mm-hmm. And, and they kind of... I think it is grudging at first, but they kind of... Well, it's not grudging on her part because she just flirts with him mercilessly. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny to watch the first scene with them together in the bathroom where she oh, is. yeah. Because she's so... Different she's breathing yet, in there. Yeah. I mean, her her style is very different. Yeah. But she's still <laughs> very much Franny Fisher yeah. um, when she's introducing herself. But a woman alone in a new city. And yeah. I mean, but playing. he's not like unlike Hugh, who has no idea what to make of this woman. <laughs> and actually starts to take notes. notes. No, I know. <laughs> so great. Because she's so like, authoritative. <laughs> um, but he is so deadpan and so yeah. in control of himself. We, I think we figure out right away that if we're going to ever see emotion from this guy, it's going to mean something because he's in control. Even when he's really annoyed with her, mm-hmm. he kind of reins it in and, um, you know, he's kind of a polite and deadpan foil to her at the beginning. I think Hugh Collins is such a good oh, sidekick. I mean, he's adorable. He is. His facial expressions his, and just, yeah, he's just the fumbling. Open book. Oh. I will have seen a particular scene twenty times where he's fumbling or something, and I still, I still have to laugh because he's just so perfect. And he at has it. some of the best wide-eyed <laughs> double takes I've ever seen yeah. anybody do, and and I kind of to the point where I kind of don't want to see him in anything else because I right he's. I just feel like he is Hugh Collins. I know. I want I want him to stay squeaky clean. Yeah, I don't I don't want to see him like shooting people up in in some like spy movie or something. Right. I just want him to be the adorable Bobby. I know. They are really a great duo and yeah. then pair incredibly well eventually with right. Miss Fisher and, and Dot. Dot. And I think they hinted that with the music when he sees Dot for the first time, and of course, is she, so he, she's carrying a tray like off mm-hmm. into some other room in a in a stairway that we will see again because they recycle all the <laughs> locations in this. Um, whenever Hugh and Dot are together, at least in the first few episodes, the the music, the score, kind of switches over to this out of tune, the piano, piano, yep. the sort of bumbling, mm-hmm. slightly ragtime but sweet melody, a little discordant sometimes. Yeah, yeah, when he's made a faux pas yeah (laughs) and the contrast i think between how tentative and and innocent both dot and hugh are and then we see friny breeze into a room and jack just take control and i and i think we don't find these things out until later but it's not just their age but both friny and jack have seen things during world war one that have really changed them and i think have changed their outlook Mm -hmm. and obviously Dot and Hugh are way too young to have seen right. those things. They weren't there. Um, I think that I think that plays into it. Yeah, I think they're always coming from a slightly different place than the older two yeah. who have seen things, who have lived yep. a lot. <laughs> yep, and lost and, yes. yeah. and felt things that neither Hugh nor Dot have. How do we meet Aunt P? She is introduced pretty early on. 
Friday has just checked into her clearly expensive hotel That's room. That's right. And yep. Mac is there. and Who is awesome. There's not enough Mac. No, I, there's never enough Mac. And I love that she's the first person that we meet other yeah. than Friday. Oh, like yeah, She greets this, her off of the ship and big hug. and This right. clearly countercultural yeah. woman. And they're besties. Yep. And... There's just no time lost, like even though they've been on different continents. Yep. You and can Mac tell. is clearly brilliant and yep. no nonsense. Right. And then has uh in emergency bowel <laughs> surgery, which is why she cannot come to the luncheon that Franny is invited to by Aunt P yep. or her friend Lydia. And then Aunt P's going right. to be there. So right away we learned that Aunt P is not exactly who Franny is there to see. Yeah. She and we just, see this as kind of a, an obligation. Mm-hmm. She's not thrilled about seeing this, whoever this relative is. Right. I think the first time I saw it, I missed, I, I wasn't paying attention and I missed Miriam Margulies' name in the credits hmm. and I totally would have seen it. I, I must've been, I don't know, checking my phone or something and I missed it, but cause I love her. And so it was a surprise when yeah, she shows up and I'm like, Oh my God, Mary <laughs> Margulies is in this. <laughs> and she is the queen of the hilarious facial expressions. And the backhanded compliments oh, that are not really compliments. Oh yeah. And the horrified looks at pretty much everything I know. her niece so does. So fun. <laughs> yeah. Love it. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's such a great addition to the cast. Yeah. After the murder happens and we meet Miranda Otto and everything and they decide to go ahead with this soiree, right away we get a taste of Phryne's, shall we say, lack of inhibition. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and she's very good at the tango. Holy it turns cow. out, yeah. And how Sasha knew that, we do not know. But. Yeah, I think this is another trope of murder mysteries: is these murder mystery mavens like <laughs> Jessica Fletcher and <laughs> Franny Fisher. Um, they seem to know everybody. Like right. Angela Lansbury has eight thousand nieces and nephews in. <laughs> And so that often is what leads her to wherever the next body is going to be. And it's kind of the same thing with Phryne. Like she has all of these, she knows everybody, no matter what continent they hail from. Right. She happens to know Sasha, this Russian French yes, dancer guy. Yes, she happened to have seen him five course, years before in why Paris. Why wouldn't you right. run into someone you know from the war half, <laughs> half the world away? Of course that would happen. Um, yes. And that hap- we see that kind of over and over again, that she has these connections to these people that, that come back. And the connections are usually pretty believable, too. I mean, you can see yeah. they're obviously convenient to the storyline. And it helps that, you know, half the people, half the adult people in the Western world were involved in World War One in some way. And so we're mm-hmm. in foreign countries. We're in, you know, we're shipped off somewhere else and had come home from somewhere. So, yeah, their world is a lot wider, I think, than many other eras they could have chosen to depict. That's true. But I gotta say, that cleft in Sasha's chin, that was a little too intense for me. And <laughs> totally shallow, but oh God, that's all I could see was I'm just zeroing in on that that's chin funny. cleft. <laughs> yeah, he's a beautiful man. Yeah, that tango scene was pretty fantastic. and really But was. I think even better, even more priceless was how horrified Aunt P was. <laughs> watching this whole thing (laughs) yeah well she had made a comment not that long before about the length of Franny's hem hemline I forgot about that and uh to go from that to then seeing her do this very scandalous tango yeah she wasn't holding anything back nor does she really ever which is so exciting yeah so fun to watch yeah, her she just, just dive she's in. turned up to 11 all the time, which is really... But it's and not obnoxious. Like, it could no, get really obnoxious, and it doesn't. It's not. She plays and it really well. It's unapologetic, too, yep. which is rare. I, I love that. She yep. just goes for it. She does not apologize for who she is. Yep. And it's just such a refreshing thing to watch yeah. from a main character who's a woman. Yeah, and she goes, you know, she goes home with a different guy every time, and, and there is zero... Slut shaming. Zero even mention of this. I mean, Dot's eyes get pretty wide, but they would. She's young and mm-hmm. sheltered. And but you know, I think I think back to when, say, Sex and the City came out, and everybody thought how liberated that show was, and it was for the time. But if you think about every time one of the characters would have an encounter with some lover or some one night stand, they'd have to spend the next twenty minutes agonizing about it, and. <laughs> 
you know, calling themselves sluts or whatever else. And, and that just doesn't happen here. And I love that. I I love that Franny is, like you said, totally unapologetic. And it's such a refreshing place to be in that show. And at first it, it it's a little like you like you're bracing yourself for it to happen. Yep. And then it doesn't, which is surprising and wonderful. And then you quickly get used to that. Mm-hmm. And it just sort of goes away and it's yep. just all part of this world. And I, I love that. And you know, I got my husband into the show right away. And he's a pretty feminist liberated guy. But he has seen like every murder mystery there is. And, and I think he was expecting certain things. And, and I think he was more surprised than I was because you had kind of told me what to expect mm-hmm. coming into it. And at first he was like, oh, wow, there. Wow. She's <laughs> she's really going there. But even he, I mean, it just didn't take long and it, it yeah. just became completely natural. And and now he is rooting for her every bit as hard as I am. And it's really great to see. It is. Yeah. It establishes a new norm really yeah. quickly. Yeah. And it's just such a fun norm. Like yeah. it's such a fun world. It's free of judgments that yep. we're so used to, especially yep. when there's a show focused on that time period. Yeah. Basically oh, totally. any time period before now, everything is really judgmental, um, yep. incredibly moral. Yep. And it, yeah, it's just such a refreshing change and yep. makes it so much more fun and also kind of gives a sense of, of what could be. Yeah. That there is this other way of looking at the world. It's really exciting. And yeah. I think that's what I really have appreciated about the show and the feminist qualities of the show. They yeah. don't hit you over the head. It's yeah. done in a really subtle way. It's really, in a really natural. fun way. Yep. Because I've certainly seen a million feminist TV shows or things about feminism. And it's the often you feel like you have to write an essay, like it's an right. assignment. Or it's so overt, like, you know, like not knocking Wonder Woman. I love Wonder Woman, but that's kind of the whole, this whole, like, I'm a superhero and I'm a mm-hmm. woman. I mean, they just, there is no big deal made about it right here. And, and I think, I think it helps that they pick the 1920s because I think if you ask the average Joe Schmo that they may not realize how radical the 20s really were as an era. And mm-hmm. I think in many ways, they were it was certainly more liberal than that when we think of the 60s we think of free love and hippies and all right. of that but i think the 20s was far more radical in that in in many ways and and even sometimes i think even more than now i mean right. they, well it makes sense they had just come out of this war they're disillusioned they'd been through hell and back and, and they're alive they come and home and yeah they want to celebrate so. being alive and and it's interesting to see it from an Australian perspective because in the U S you know, prohibition was going on. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of gangland violence. There was a lot of, um, organized crime speakeasies. And, and, and there was this kind of constant fight over women's rights. Women got the vote in the U S in 1920. Mm -hmm. So all of those things were happening in the U S and, and I think, I think there was an even more kind of liberal shift on the Australian side. And I don't know the ins and outs of what was going on legally then, but um, it's really interesting to see. And and there was a lot of free love. There was a lot of violence happening. People were, ordinary citizens were getting their hands on weapons, which were more tightly controlled in some places than others. Mm -hmm. I think people tend to get moralistic when they think about the past. And, And I think if you were to look at things that were made in the 20s, they'd be much more shocking than things that are made about the 20s. Yeah. I think we tend to scrub things a Yeah, bit. we sanitize. Yeah. Because we don't want to think about our grandparents. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Tangoing. And- yes. Tangoing. <laughs> but and other Fanny things. doesn't do that. This, this series doesn't do that. Right. And I think that's really wonderful. And, you know, you talk about the, the kind of quietly feminist issues. And what I really love to see too, is this world is peopled by women. Like there's a lot of women in this Mm -hmm. show. It's not just one woman and all the rest are boys. Like there's a lot of women and there's, they're not competing with each other. There's no fabricated drama. There's no cattiness. And these women are supporting each other and helping each other. And 
kicking ass and taking names together. <laughs> yeah, this show definitely passes the Bechdel test. Oh, with flying <laughs> colors. It's one of the few that does. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And, and partly because there are so many women who have yep. varied storylines and you just don't find that. Yeah, very And how often. long ago did the Bechdel test come? What was that, 15 years ago or something? Yeah. It was a while ago and, and we're still saying how few things pass it. If anyone who's not familiar with this, Alison Bechdel is a comics illustrator and writer, and she actually just recently won a MacArthur Genius Grant um, a couple of years ago, I think. She came up with something called the a test for whether or not a film or TV show or book is feminist. And her litmus test is, are there two or more female characters in said show or said book who talk to each other about something other than a man? And you would be surprised how few things it pass is that amazing. test. amazing. Still, very few things pass the test. Yep. I was just reading something that looked at it from an economic standpoint Mm -hmm. and showed that the movies that pass the Bechdel test earn so much more, like twice as much at the box office as those that don't. Wow. And how it's pretty clear that Hollywood just needs to uh, put more women on the screen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which we already knew. We yeah. have known this for a long time. But but yes, more but women very back to this. Varied characters. Yep. Let's not just keep putting women in the same boxes and yep. let's not always make a white man a default right. because I'm getting so sick of this. And, and uh, you know, a, a quick personal aside. I mean, I I work as an illustrator. Um, we're actually both creative types. Mary's a designer. Um, I'm an illustrator. And so I, I see this a lot, both as someone who makes things and also as a consumer. And I'm really interested in comics and film and things like that. And I have been frustrated for years about, say, Pixar. <laughs> all of their protagonists are male. All of their stories are boy stories because they love to say that girls' stories don't sell, which is patently not true not true um and then they finally get a female protagonist with brave and guess what she's a princess with an arranged marriage situation and it's finally improving you know inside out Mm -hmm. came out recently and they're finally coming around but still even in these industries where you think women are doing better or these people are more enlightened but we're still back at the same thing over and over again so it's really refreshing when you get something that not only passes the bechdel test but just it do, they don't even say anything about no. it. They just say, you it know, okay, this is, this is our world. Here's where we are. Mm-hmm. Come along with us or don't. And and of course, you're sucked in immediately. I it's know. wonderful. And they, they get you on the beautiful costumes and the writing and the clever dialogue. And it's just a whole complete package and so that the feminism just doesn't really become an issue anymore. It's so natural. It's great. Yeah, it is really natural. And it's one of the few shows I've ever seen that does it this well yeah. and this naturally. Yeah. And it made me completely changed my expectations oh yeah and And now I'm so when I see other things that don't fit this model I get really mad I mean I got mad before but now I just don't have time I was aware of it before but now I have this this measure that I didn't have before now yeah and I'm measuring everything against (laughs) Miss Fisher and everything yeah I know nothing passes nothing (laughs) even comes close and actually when I first started watching the show I was only a few episodes in and I really was coveting the time that I had to watch this show and I would mm. measure like okay do I want to go out and see this movie <laughs> that's probably about two Miss Fishers long <laughs> I could stay at home and watch two more episodes oh. of Miss Fisher that's how much it took over my life and, yeah. and really does continue to in smaller ways but I was measuring everything in Miss Fishers oh, I think that's a good unit yes I do too measurement when I was a kid I used to when I was really little when I was like five my unit of time was a Mr. Rogers <gasps> Yes. Because so actually, if I had to take a nap and it was only a half an yep. hour, I was like, well, that's okay because it's only just one Mr. Rogers That's really lawn. funny. My husband's family <laughs> measured in Brady Bunches. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love that we measure in television shows. <laughs> well, when you're like, a kid, that's one. your reference point. Yeah. I mean, what else do you have? Yeah. Just for point of reference, there are approximately 1.5 Mr. Rogers <laughs> in every Friday Fisher. <laughs> um, so I, I think we should talk a little bit about aesthetics since we're both arty types yep. and we both you know make images um i i am completely seduced by anything with good costumes and period authentic mm-hmm. design and holy cow did they do their homework yeah and, they really did yeah and i mean i am really interested in the 20s i mean i live in a house that was built in 1921 and 
um, my husband and I are in the middle of restoring it and trying to make sure that everything is period. If not actually from that period, then it is such a good replica that you can't tell. That's kind of our mission <laughs> in this life. Um, and so I'm really interested in this stuff. And, and, and I know a little bit about it from, from restoring my house. And so watching the show, my husband and I actually pause it and we would say, okay, look at that stove back there. <laughs> the kitchen that the stove is now placed in what used to be the fireplace. I mean, we, we do this all the time and, and it, I feel like it holds up to so much scrutiny. It really does. They did their homework on they did. every aspect it of the show. It is such a joy. Well, and it starts out with the books that Carrie Greenwood wrote. She was incredibly thorough. Yes. She researched the hell out of all aspects of that time period and what Franny would have been going through and the house she would have lived in and all, I mean, everything was incredibly thorough. And I think you have to be, and I don't know about you, but if I read something or watch something and they get the details wrong, I get mad. And that's distracting. It's jarring. And it takes me out of the movie or the TV show or whatever it is I'm in. So I really appreciate that they, it's good continuity. (laughs) They were so thorough and, and that it comes from a place of honesty in the books. Like it, the books themselves are incredibly accurate. And so the uh, producers of the show made sure to stay with that. And Carrie Greenwood, I watched an interview with her and she's talking about how well they researched everything and just, Mm. and she's walking around the set of Franny's home and just is still blown away that they managed to find all of the decor and just everything that's so perfect to that time period. And how fun must that be to have written this series and then see it actually in front of you? In meticulous detail that they didn't get lazy when they, you know, I I think if you're an author and and you sell the rights to your creation to be made into a film or television show, you kind of lose all control, I think, mm-hmm. most of the time. And unless you're, say, J.K. Rowling or something, and they right. call you in as a consultant, I think for the most part, you kind of, there's a risk that they're going to ruin what you did. Mm-hmm. And they, that didn't happen here. They were so careful. And, they were. And, they and kept- I'm not familiar with the books the way you are, but I, I think it's got to be satisfying for Carrie Greenwood to, mm-hmm. to see such care. She was involved taken. really closely oh, too good. as they, yeah, they included her and had her reading over the scripts. And so they really encouraged her to be part of it, yeah. which I don't think is always the case, yeah. but it's such, uh, it reflects so well on the production company, yeah. which is every cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm so glad that they included her. Yeah. I think it makes a big difference oh, overall. Definitely. Definitely. Oh, and this is kind of an aside, but of course the costumes are uh, to die for. And Jack <laughs> Robinson has the best ties. Yes. I hate 99% of all ties. And he has wonderful ties. And most of them are wool. And I love that they're wool <laughs> ties. But um, I'm trying to remember what tie is he wearing in the first episode. I can't episode. remember. I want to go back and, and see that again. But he, he often wears like this kind of ochre colored tie that is beautiful. He's often these understated outfits, like these grays and browns and mm-hmm. ochres. Usually gray. It seems like gray yeah. is his color. Um, and he also has a black and gray striped, diagonal striped number that is so gorgeous. But the thing that makes me laugh so hard every time is that um, Phryne's robe is hand embroidered with a cockfight on the I back. I know. It's so perfect. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's also stunning. It's beautiful. She looks absolutely oh, gorgeous she, in her robe. Yeah. It's unfair. I know. I know. Any, She's Human. flawless. I know. She has per- I mean, of course, you know, it's television. So right. she's, you know, she's got a team of people to flock and make her look perfect for every 30 second shot. But man, she's that, just stunning. That woman can wear anything. Yeah. And be a total knockout. I know. <laughs> that robe is just gorgeous. Yeah. And I, I actually really appreciate that they reuse parts of her wardrobe. Yeah. I mean, you don't just see it once in most cases. Right. Like it feels real. Like she's actually washing and wearing the stuff again. She's yeah. I mean, she has a very large clothing budget. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, if only we could all have that. (laughs) But she uses it well and she reuses the pieces and it's just really fun. I love when I see another piece come in or like the same one, like, Oh yeah, there's that coat again. Yeah. That coat. Oh, man her coats her coats oh, that, we could do hats. a whole show just on yeah just outerwear yeah and <laughs> you know they're so understated about so many things they're understated about 
the feminism. There, Jack is understated. Jack's wardrobe is understated. And so that gives room for Phryne to be totally flamboyant. <laughs> and it's wonderful. It really it's is. It's just, I love that her wardrobe is kind of over the top. And she herself is just larger than life in everything that she does. And, and her wardrobe reflects that. Yeah. I Even think. when she's breaking into something, yeah. she's dressed to the she's nines. She's climbing up drain pipes in high heels. Like, it's just <laughs> so, and oh, her shoes. Yep. She, I don't think she wears it in the first episode, but she has this creamy butter leather pair of heels. It's it's like if you were James? to buy it in artist oil paint, it would be Naples <gasps> yellow. That would totally be the color. It's this kind of buttery, natural yellow hmm. that she wears. And I want those shoes <laughs> so badly. <laughs> the no pair idea. she wears dancing to the soiree oh, in the yeah. first episode have all of these gorgeous silver bugle beads. Yeah. Like in a stripe and around. Oh, oh. they're just so stunning. And they can be seen, the pair of shoes hanging from various uh, pieces of furniture. <laughs> Sure. The top in of the hotel room. room. Yes. Isn't there one in the chandelier? Or uh, no, that's, that's the stocking. The stocking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Dot very helpfully points out where the other shoe is. It's up there, miss. <laughs> yes. Thanks, Dot. But yeah, the shoes are just gorgeous. Yeah. And yeah, she's always wearing heels. And that crushed velvet red gown <laughs> that she wears. The finest Melbourne has ever seen. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, Dot gets the blood out of it. What would we do? We all need a Dot. Oh my goodness. How many times have I said if this? If I could have... Yeah. I need a Dot. Yeah. And I'm... Well, uh, and a Mr. Butler, which... Well, we'll get into Mr. We will Butler get into that later. We haven't met him officially no, yet in the yet. show, but we love him. Ugh. Oh, do we ever love him. <laughs> There's this detail in the episode where Franny's... When Franny's in trouble... And Dot has to man the phone, the yes. dreaded phone. And she has this lip print on oh her Oh my forehead. goodness, yes. Yes, and I that's love not the this. only time no, that happens. They carry this through the whole series. Yeah. The, yeah, inadvertent lip print on Dot's forehead. It is such a great little sight gag. Yeah. And I love that they carry it through. Yeah. And it's there for so long. Yep. She just, le- oh, it's so it's good. It's really cute. It's just adorable. What else should we cover? Um, what about uh, cocaine? Oh, yes, cocaine. Based on what Max says as she and Phryne are sampling the goods, yeah. it could still be prescribed by doctors yeah. in the late 20s, yeah. which still, it blows my mind that cocaine was like it's a kind legal of a, thing. Yeah, but, and it's amazing how what we would consider what class class A substances mm-hmm. or whatever they call it, how commonly traded they were from the Victorian era and, and earlier and yeah, even up into this time. And these, this cocaine is being sold in these pretty little pink packets that look like, I don't know, Nutrisweet or something, right. sweet and low. And and I love that scene where she and Mac are sampling the yep. cocaine. Just and making Mac sure. Mac says, well, I'm the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Got to be sure that's what it is. Yeah. And, and I think this whole, th- this hinting at this kind of seamy underbelly in Melbourne, an interesting choice of Melbourne too. And I don't, I don't, I'm not, I've never been to Melbourne. I'm not, and, and you have, is that I right? I have, yes, but I was eight years old. Oh, okay. So, yeah, kind of unfortunate gotta go there. back. You got to do a Friday pilgrimage now. I agree. <laughs> Believe me, it's on my list. Yeah. Um, Ah, there's a whole there's a whole episode about Australian rules football, and mm-hmm. I got I was I spent hours googling Australian <laughs> rules football. So yeah, there's this whole world that we're kind of introduced to as you know, since we're Americans, we're foreigners. This is new to us, but we kind of see right away that Melbourne's seedy underbelly, and I think that's also kind of a throwback to that time in America. There were the speakeasies, and there mm-hmm. were the kind of the mob run. Like Chicago was a huge hotbed of mob activity in the 1920s and you kind of get the sense that maybe Melbourne was as well and so you see this bathhouse mm-hmm. um, well they they have a the docks and so i think yeah. all the world is coming to Melbourne. Yep. It's a center for trade. Mm-hmm. There's people coming from all over the world. There's trade happening and we'll meet characters later who are international traders. Um yeah, totally so not- hot international traders. <laughs> <laughs> So it's, I guess it's not too surprising that we're we're seeing some sort of universal yeah. themes in Melbourne yeah. at that time period. Yep, but it's interesting. You know, there's this it, it, there's this kind of parallel trades happening in this episode where there's this illegal cocaine smuggling that's happening in this cocaine distribution center out of this bathhouse, which is barely legal. <laughs> it's operating kind of on the margins, as yeah. they're hinting at. And then at the same time, they're doing human trafficking. They're they're yeah. pimping out these girls to the as these maids, and then as soon as they are, 
you know, assaulted, then they get kind of farmed out to this back alley abortion racket that's that's going on. So it's kind of this parallel illegal activity mm-hmm. and a lot of it run by women. Right. So it's not just the women who are the good guys in this. They're also the bad guys. It's true. But I and I love that Phryne is there to recognize the underdog. Yeah. In pretty much every situation. I feel like she is very yep. acutely aware of who is the most vulnerable yep. and what she could do to improve their situation. Yeah. And she's not afraid to bend or even break the law. Mm-mm. And she's very much a spirit of the law, not the letter of the law type. And we find out not till later, but we find out that Jack too has, even though he is an official lawman, mm-hmm. he too recognizes the difference. Yep. And, and he's willing to uh, look askance, look the other way. Or, yeah. yeah. Look aside for yep. a moment. And that makes it a lot more fun to have these characters who, they aren't black and white with everything. Right. Right. And even for that time when we were, you know, there were, I think, some more liberal attitudes in society, it still was illegal to be gay. Mm -hmm. It was illegal to have an abortion. It was all of these things, these kind of, quote, moral things were illegal um, at the time. And and they tackle that kind of head on. And and Phryne is incredibly forward thinking. And I think that's a lot of that is a product of the fact that these are modern novels and modern, this is a modern show. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder about that. It's very progressive and I wonder how honest that is. Yeah. You know, I often thought that I really love Mad Men. Who doesn't? Right you know, another completely beautiful, well-researched show. (laughs) Yep. Less feminist. (laughs) You don't say. (laughs) Slightly. But, but I often was kind of annoyed watching Mad Men because it's kind of like they were making a show through um, the modern moralistic lens Mm -hmm. of look how badly we treat people of color look how badly we treat gay people look look at us having a picnic on a grass lawn and we're oh, literally right. like that scene just that scene is blew burned my mind. into my retinas yep, where too. they stand up and they litter everything there and they do that on purpose they want you to be shocked mm-hmm. by that scene and and like you said i wonder it feels it feels manipulative yeah. when you see that much of it so i think there's a little bit of that here i think with burton sess that's where i really often wonder like yeah. would they really have been okay with that so yeah when Phryne and Burton Sess go into um detective inspector's office and are talking to him about butcher George in this first episode Jack Robinson mentions well abortion is illegal which they know yeah. but then and Bert says something that I can't quite understand I think I need to put on closed caption or something like like it's been legal in Leningrad yes is that what he says yes since he's like 1920 um, he's referencing the Bolsheviks oh and I uh okay mansplaining comment section come <laughs> come explain this come and um, get us <laughs> but um as far as I understand um the communists were at least on paper they saw the genders as equal at least to a point I think hmm. for the for the time and so I think that's where that comes from is his communist beliefs. Okay. I think I think that may be why they wrote Sess and Burt as communists. Because yeah. I think if they weren't if they weren't if seen they were just, as radicals as being on the margins of society, mm-hmm. I don't think it would have been believable at all for that's them true. to be hanging out with Miss Fisher and helping the ladies solve crimes. Right. I mean, it just, it would, I think it wouldn't have been believable. And it is, I think it is a little bit of a suspension of disbelief, mm-hmm. even so, but there's a lot of finesse with how they handle it. Yeah. So yeah, I think there is a little bit of that modern lens here, but it's way less overt than it is in say Mad Men and other right. period shows like that, that are done now with, you know, cause we know better now. <laughs> right. <laughs> in the books, Bert and Sess are, I'd say fairly similar but Sess only ever says too right that's like his one line he, he says a couple more things but that's sort of like the going I'm just waiting joke. for somebody to say that's not a knife this is a knife <laughs> you know I that think you're gonna my be life. upset I'm afraid you are not going to get uh, that I just want 80 year old Paul Hogan to make a cameo <laughs> do you really no I don't but 
you know, yes, I, I would laugh for days if that happened. I think <laughs> as an American, I miss a lot of the nuance. Um, once in a while, yeah. I can't understand what they're saying. Really? So I've been confused, not with this episode, although mm-hmm. there was that, that little bit that Bert says that I didn't yeah. totally understand. But yeah, there are a couple other episodes where they will use a word that I don't even understand until another character says it later in well, the episode. Uh, for instance, digger. Yeah. A digger is Australian slang for a war veteran. And so, and there's a lot of that. And I think I, I'm kind of an Anglophile, um, and so I'm kind of familiar with Britishisms and yeah. British slang terms, but there's a lot of Australian in terms that I was not familiar with and had to look up or like the, the football episode. And, right. Um, and, and so it's been interesting to kind of learn about these things. And also there's different accents. I mean, we ha- like yeah. as Americans, we have this stereotypical crocodile Dundee idea of what an Australian accent sounds like, but, but there's so many nuances here. And Sess and Bert have very different accents from Franny and Franny has a different accent mm-hmm. from Jack. Um, and Franny can play up that accent when she needs to and she she kind of turns it up right. at other times like when she's protecting Sasha or when in she's the alley. posing yeah if she's undercover mm-hmm. as somebody else she'll turn on that accent and then at other times I, I feel like it's still there I can still detect it but it's mm-hmm. very different I think I think it'd be the same if if an Australian or I don't know if a French person or somebody saw an American show about different regions and you'd hear different American dialects. I mean, we have different accents here as well and mm-hmm. different regional expressions. And, and Australia, I think, has a lot in common with the U.S. that way. I mean, we're, we yeah. were both colonies. Um, we're both roughly the same size mm-hmm. in land area. We both have these vast open spaces. Um, so I think we, there's some parallels there. And mm-hmm. I think Aust- I have a feeling Australia is extremely regional the way the U.S. is. When we get to the football episode, I mean, that is apparently unique to Melbourne, like it's really not, yeah. I, I guess there's several different kinds of football played in Australia. Oh wow! But the kind referenced in that episode is only played in Greater Melbourne. I had no idea. It's a whole thing. Oh, Google, what you have done for me? <laughs> yeah, I have not been googling enough. Clearly, yeah. So I, but I, this show has really gotten me interested in learning more about Australian culture, Australian mm-hmm. history, how how Australia fits in in this world history, especially this, this time after between the wars and, and, and let's not forget this show takes place in the very late 1920s. Yeah. And of course they didn't have the stock market crash that the U S did, but the, the depression of the thirties was worldwide. There was at least some economic impact in many, many places around the world. I'm trying to remember if that's ever referenced towards like the end of series three. Do they mention it? I think it hasn't happened yet because I, um, and I want to check the dates, but I feel like the black Friday was October of 1929. Mm. I think that was the crash in the U S Okay, and that, even though it didn't affect everybody immediately, like it certainly was, was headlines around the world, but I don't think it had happened yet. I think season three ends like right before. Okay. Maybe. So I have a little confession. Sometimes this gets blurred in my head because um, I've read a couple fan fiction pieces. And by a couple, I mean all of them. And so I couldn't remember if stock market crash happens in the show or if it's just in the fanfic I've read. And because it does get brought up in those. Okay. Okay. Um, don't quote me on the the facts because I I want to research that, but I don't think they mention it in the show. Okay. I think the show isn't quite there. Okay. Yet, but if they do a fourth season, they've got to talk about it. They, because yeah, they have to. It's it's 1929 okay. by that point. Yeah, yeah. So I have to kind of always remember That's what. So funny. <laughs> I know. So okay. So so you have the books. You have, have the show. Yes. And then I have all the fan fiction that has been written and that is in my head. Wow. So I have to try to keep things straight. And I've got a question. So if the TV show is based on the books, what is canon? Is it the show or is it the book? I would say the book. Okay. But I I mean, I think like the show is going to have a wider audience, I think, than the book. I I confess I have not read the books and now I need to do that. They're pretty fun. Yeah. I'm about halfway through. They're 20, I think. What is it with mystery writers cranking them out? Man. And you know, so I was calling these initially little bonbons of Mm. a book because I can blow through one in like a day. No Mm -hmm. problem. But you know, there is more substance to them than that. 
they all have wonderful one-liners by Phryne. I mean, just fantastic That's little great. quotes. Do any and of them appear in the show? Once in a while. And, okay. and it's really fun to see these little bits and pieces that are taken out of the books and put into, you know, like a completely different episode than, yeah. than the book it was from. But it's really fun to kind of find those. They're like oh, little Easter eggs yeah. as I'm watching the show. Yeah. So they are... they are not without substance, even That's though great. they're a very quick and fun read. And the Phryne in them, in the book series, is different to mm. some degree because she is much younger. Yep. Um, and a little, just a little more different. Detective Inspector Jack Robinson is older. He's, mm. I think, probably about the same age as he is in the show. Okay. So there's a pretty substantial age separation. And I haven't gotten far enough. I think that there's some sort of romantic involvement. Mm. I don't. I'm not quite sure. I'm not there yet. Interesting. Um, now, is there kind of that slow-burning flirtation that happens in the show? Is that not yet? Okay. Oh, <laughs> and I'm halfway through. Wow. So, I mean, she refers to him as Jack Deer, but which I think is taking a liberty at yes. that time. And I, I think in the most recent book I read, one of the constables is sort of shocked to hear her say this. Yeah. But yep. beyond that, they don't. And that I think would have been normal street politeness. Like you would, you wouldn't well, call someone you didn't know well by their. You, yeah. You'd call well, them and Mr. And or Finey, Ms. You know, is always going beyond yes, the norm. She's, so yeah. she's calling somebody dear she, when they she, are. He calls in one of the episodes. He calls her a freight train, and she's you know. Yep. <laughs> and she kind of is that way. She is full mm-hmm. steam ahead at all times, and she she can be kind of she has impeccable manners. She has she's incredibly tactful and well mannered and well brought up, but. Mm-hmm. If she if she needs to be, she can be completely direct and blunt and and, and not afraid of a faux pas. Right. Well, and I think her upbringing, being a society person, who wasn't born who into wasn't that. born into that, so right. she can she can spot the person that uh, is in a vulnerable place. Yep. And she also knows the channels to go t- through, and she to can solve blend the in on mm-hmm. in either world equally well, which yeah. is great. It's really fun. Yeah. I mean, it's just, they, they put her in this fun scenario and I just love it. I yeah. love her. I love everything about the show. Yeah. I love that it's this completely wonderful alternate universe Yeah, that I don't want to live in because everybody dies. <laughs> there are a lot of dead people in this alternate there universe, are. but it's just it's such... It's like Cabot Cove. The murder rate is so high <laughs> in that know. town. They need to <laughs> do Somebody something. Somebody needs to do something. <laughs> The but, solve rate is also very high. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, I mean, there's, we, in this, I forget, because we're talking about this after we've seen, we've devoured all of these shows. The yeah, whole, I think devoured is, there is the correct term. To, to be, there, mm-hmm. Everything there is to consume, we have consumed it with <laughs> alacrity. But uh, trying to think back to this first episode, what is hinted at? We know Phryne has a past. We, yeah. I don't we, think we know that she wasn't born with money. We know she has a title. We see that she's the honorable uh-huh. Phryne Fisher. Um, we know she has money because she spends it like. Yeah. And they, I mean, checking into that very expensive oh, hotel. Yeah. Yep. 10 minutes in lets you know, okay, money. Yep. Sashaying in these expensive clothes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but. One of the first things we hear is when she's talking to Mac in that hotel room, she's troubled about something. She, we know we start to find out why she's there. Yeah. And Mac says it won't bring her back. Mm-hmm. It won't bring your sister back. And so we know she's lost a sister. We don't know. I'm and not we even think sure. it may be tragic in some way, but we don't know. I don't think we even know it's a sister at that point. Is I think that Mac true? says it won't know, bring Janie it, back. It won't bring her back. Yeah. And and then we see Phryne meet with a convict in yes. jail, um, but we don't. Oh, and then we know that it's her sister, her I sister, because she pulls yeah. out her sister's the hair ribbon. ribbons. Mm-hmm. Yep. But it's all very elusive, right? In the first episode, but, but I think that gives a good foreshadowing that this isn't just, as you say, a bonbon. This right. isn't just a it confection yeah There's something really the contrasts the yep. the lightness and the frivolity right, right. That's and in the yeah series. so Phryne has frivolity about her but she is not a frivolous person mm-hmm. and we find that she has depth she has sorrow there's a real darkness she's in been her life. through something and we don't know what it is yet mm-hmm. but and, and and it's not just her sister either we find out that she's been through something in the war too and yep. and Jack as well so it's it's really 
interesting to see that depth. I, yeah, I think it makes all of the characters a lot more human yeah. to have that contrast there yep. and to see what they do with it. Yeah. Oh, quotes. That was something I wanted to mention too. Okay. My two favorite quotes in this episode. The first one is from Dot and she's all snuggled in her bathrobe after this amazing day she's been through. And yeah. she says, it was the most perilous day of my entire life. <laughs> And that's right that's before right. Franny plants the, the, the kiss, kiss on, on her, her forehead. forehead. But she's all snuggled in her robe. And it just, the way she says it totally cracks me up. Yeah. Because she's so comfy. And then she just went through this very perilous day. Yeah. And then the other quote is at the very end of the episode when they are at the hotel and they're about to celebrate Franny's newest venture. So she is talking to Dot about how Dot's going to be employed by her and right. Dot isn't sure that her priest is going to be okay with oh, right. this. right. So, but compared to your she last says, employer. your last employers were a drug baroness and rapist, surely you find me a modest improvement. <laughs> so I love great. that line. That's so great. Yeah. Because, oh, and Dot's like, and the dancing. My <gasps> priest will not be okay with the dancing. <laughs> yeah. So those are my favorite quotes from this episode. Yeah. I think we should end each one with a toast because almost everyone ends with a toast. I think that's perfect. So what should we toast to for this first one? It's International Women's Day. Oh, of course. So let's do a toast. Toast to strong women everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So this brings us to the end of our very first episode. And we're so excited because there's so much more to talk about and more to look forward to. And because almost every episode of Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries ends in some sort of toast, um, we're going to end with a toast as well. And today happens to be International Women's Day. And so we're going to raise a toast to strong women everywhere, like Franny, like Dot, like all the women who have gotten us to this point today. So... To them. To them. Cheers. Cheers. 